Welcome to the Events Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and each week I talk with event professionals and entrepreneurs about how they plan, promote, and run their events. We help you build your events empire by growing your business using live events. Whether you're running community meetups or conferences, trade shows, and other events, we focus on finding actionable tips that you can use straight away. We want you to get more attendees, produce epic events, make more money, and most importantly, to do it all with no stress. This podcast is sponsored by EventsFrame. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. Make the switch from Eventbrite today to our amazing ticketing and registration system with no ticket fees. Most ticketing systems charge you a minimum of 3% of the ticket price, but we just have a flat low fee with no ticket fees and no restrictions. There's literally no system out there that is cheaper than EventsFrame. It's also super easy to use and you can embed your tickets in your website or you can use our own website builder, which is really simple. We have amazing options to apply all kinds of discounts on all the features you'd expect from a much more expensive system like QR code check-in. Go to eventsframe.com, that's E-V-E-N-T-S-F-R-A-M-E.com for a free, no-risk, one-month trial. Hello and welcome to the Events Podcast. I'm delighted to be welcoming uh, Steve Monnington back for the second time. He's our second returning guest. We've just done another interview with uh, Will Kunthart. Uh, and the Steve Monnington episode was very popular. We talked a bit about how to, well, quite a lot actually, about how to sell your business. So um, we're going to have a shorter chat this time about a few things Steve's working on, a new initiative to help growing events companies. So how are you doing, Steve? I'm doing fine, thanks. It's been a really busy start to the year. Traditionally, at the beginning of January, we get people coming off their Christmas and New Year break, having made a decision to sell their businesses um, this year as a kind of a New Year's resolution. So we normally expect half a dozen inbound inquiries, you know, through the first weeks of a new year. But actually, so far, we've had 15 companies contact us wow. so far this year to, to say that they decided now's the time to sell their business. And what's like when you get these leads coming in like this, what's your like process? Do you kind of sift out half of them straight away and say, look, I'm really sorry, we can't help you. You know, like you're too small or, or you're the wrong type of business. Exactly. Um, and it's usually it's usually based on those two things. So size size is important because, you know, below a particular level, you know, normally around about, for example, half a million earnings before interest and tax. Um, a lot of the organizers um you know, are, are not interested in, in acquiring those businesses. Some of the smaller acquirers will buy something slightly smaller, but, you know, we, we get approaches from businesses which are breaking even, making 50,000, 100,000. So it's easy to sift those out. There are also companies which have businesses which are slightly outside the norm, either in sector or in geography. So we tend to we say we tend to sift those out as well. But this year we've got an interesting mix of businesses and they range uh, right across the spectrum from um, uh, sort of buyer meets seller one to one forums to investor meets investment one to one forums through to conferences, uh, which are pure conferences that want to scale into exhibitions to hybrid conference exhibition companies and then your traditional exhibition organizers. So it's very interesting at the moment that, it, that there is a good, healthy mix of, uh, of businesses coming to market. Now, you mentioned this like half a million revenue for a trade show, which makes it interesting for an acquirer. Now, because obviously I'm, I'm personally interested because I hope at some point in the future I'll, I'll, be, I'll be growing a business and, and selling it. But do you 
is, is the revenue more important than the profit? Because I guess what I'm thinking is like, let's say I, I get an event and I really grow it and I get to half a million, but I, but I, but I don't make much profit because I invest a huge amount in, in marketing it and doing, you know, getting, getting exhibitors and attendees. Is that, is it, is it the revenue that's more important than the profit? Because I get, I, I, or does it depend on the type of acquirer? Like a bigger company will be more focused on the revenue because they can just slot it into their backend process. How, how does that work? I think it varies. I mean, when I mentioned the half a million, that was in relation to profit rather than revenue. Or oh, half a million um, profit for one event. Got yeah, it. yeah. But 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 that tends to be the lower limit that the big organisers like Informa, Reed, Clarion. In fact, Clarion say to us these days, you know, if it's less than a million pounds profit, then you know we're not going to look at it. And as the big organisers get bigger, their kind of threshold goes up. So it's actually harder for the smaller companies to um, to gain their attention. And, um, you know, there are a number of smaller buyers in the market at the moment who, um, you know, who will buy smaller businesses than that. But everybody is focused on everybody is focused on the profit line uh, and on the margin. So revenue is important because if you have a business that's you know, generating five million pounds in revenue, but only making 200,000 in profit, then people will go, you know, what what on earth is all that about? Because the margins are so much lower than the industry norm. Um, So, so yeah, uh, I would say profit is the rule. So when we, when we have our first conversation with, uh, with people who've contacted us, we always start off with, with, with two things. One, what is the current size of the business, both in terms of revenue and profit, and therefore margin? And two, what are the growth trends? That's kind of how we start our assessment. That That's the first hurdle where probably half of the businesses who have approached us this year probably fall. And then we concentrate on the ones where we have a good chance of, uh, of success. So do you have to have profit and upward growth? Or will one yes. kind of compensate for the other? You need both. Yeah. No, no, you need both. Because yeah. people are buying growth. People are not, you know, the, the past is only a guide to what might happen in the future. And people are buying future growth. Sure. So they want, they want a business which has already been scaled to a certain degree, um, but also a business that has exhibited um, growth so far and where there is a good growth outlook for the sector and for that particular company's position in, in, the, in the sector. One of the things we were talking about before we started recording is how to grow a conference to an exhibition. I can actually give you a concrete example. We've, we've got an event. We've been running in Bangkok since 2012, and it's, an, it's, a, it's a conference for international school teachers. It's kind of a Google and education, education technology conference. And it's kind of, you know, it's been kind of small. We started off like 100. You know, we've had between 100 and 200 people. But, but you know, we, we know we could grow this to be more of an exhibition because we always, you know, we've always had a few vendors we haven't promoted ourselves at all to vendors and exhibitors, but we've had people come anyway, just who's founders. And Bangkok's kind of a cool, p- people who live in Asia, it's a destination. People want to go there for the weekend from Singapore, from Hong Kong, whatever. So this is an example. So if we, how would we start to think about growing this from a, from a, from a conference to a, f- to a conference to an exhibition? So there's lots of, um, there's lots of examples of, of people doing this. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, partly a mindset because you get people who've only ever run conferences and they you know they take they sell a lot of sponsorship and they give those sponsors a tabletop they hesitate in moving in moving outside of that area because yeah. the moment you start to move outside of that area it has cost 
it has cost implications because you need to have a higher you have you need to have a larger venue you know to to accommodate the stands you may need a different type of venue to accommodate the stands so it, it's a it's a little bit of a leap of faith yeah um we we've just started a series which is going to be published in uh, exhibition news um which is um uh, about which is profiling companies young companies um, management typically under the age of 30 um, who are growing their businesses um, perhaps in a different way than the older generation did because they're younger they they see risk taking in a different way um, and our first profile is a company called Maddox Events and Maddox run diversity events so they run um, a lot of women in tech women in law women in construction events and they've only been around for about three years and their biggest event which is called women of silicon roundabout which is a uk event started so, off started off life in the america's conference center in central london with about 250 delegates and you know, half a dozen sponsors who have table who had tabletop um, um, around you know around the hall, and over four editions, they've now moved that to uh, they've now moved that to Excel, and from the 250 delegates, they're going to the last edition, which was the first one when they opened it up as a proper exhibition, brought in four and a half thousand delegates. And a full exhibition floor, which was which was way beyond the um, the sponsors uh, on the you know with tabletops. It was proper built stands with people like Google uh, and um, and the like. And um, and you know that transition from 300, 300 250 delegates with five tabletops to a full blown exhibition in um, in Excel was achieved because they they saw that there was a market for it and they didn't actually stop to think about well is there a risk you know what are my barriers as far as they were concerned they didn't have any barriers they just took the chance they they hired one of the big holes in excel and they just they just created the they just created a full blown exhibition so now it's a it's an exhibition with four um, with four uh, conference streams on the floor of the exhibition, um, and there's no there's no kind of secret sauce in 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 scaling it. If you've got the demand uh, outside of the sponsors, you've just got to shift your mindset from saying only sponsors can exhibit, um, and you've got to shift your mindset from saying we'll give you a small tabletop into um, using the momentum that you've got so far through the delegates and the and the sponsors and just open the whole thing out to everybody. And do you, I mean, do you have to like have a certain, is there like a, a certain sales process that works well? Because that's obviously the, 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 the thing from kind of a logistical point of view, say from my side is to grow, to grow this event, we'd have to figure out how to, to have people full-time selling ex exhibitions, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's, and, and that's part of the shift. You have to bring in people. You have to bring in. You have to bring in exhibition salespeople rather than sponsorship salespeople. Yeah. Um, and it's you know it's a different um, it's a different strategy and it's a different skill set. But you just have to you just have to make that decision. Uh, if you try to 
take a conference. I mean, there is another business that we're starting to work with at the moment under the initiative that we're talking about in a few minutes on this on this uh, podcast who come from a conference background, you know, pure conference background, and they've got six or seven conferences which are just crying out to be scaled into full-blown exhibitions, but they need help in doing it because it's not something they've done before. Again, it's back to mindset. You know, they're using, they're using conference producers to run the event, and actually what they need to start doing now is just bringing in a couple of good exhibition salespeople. And do people, because I've, I've seen there are kind of outsourced companies who deal with that. Do, have you ever seen that working or do you think people generally have to recruit their own salespeople? Or, or? No, you have to recruit your own salespeople. Yeah, that's um, I mean, this is, this is a, you know, these are events which have been created by, by them. They're the ones with the contacts. They're the ones who have to oversee that transformation from a conference to a confex to an exhibition-led event um, and um, you have you can only do that with your own people on board. You mentioned like conference to conflex to exhibition. Could you say what well that explain what that means? And is that is that kind of the steps you have to go through? Do you think? Um, I think so. Um, so you know the, the the conference model is obviously um, delegates, sponsors, and sponsors get a small tabletop, um, and they only get to see the delegates um, during the breakout sessions. Um, so, you know, because they're a sponsor of the overall event, they don't mind that they haven't got footfall around their, you know, their small tabletop um, stand for the whole of the two or three days of the event. Moving it into a convex model means that there is a larger exhibition element, but it is still subsidiary to the conference. But you start to you start to. Um, program the conference so that it's not just one stream, it's multi-stream, and you time those streams so there are always people who are visiting the exhibition. Because one of the issues that you have in, in, in scaling these types of businesses, if you only have one or two conference streams and everybody is locked up for most of the day apart from lunchtime, then the exhibitors who are not sponsors are going to get pretty annoyed. So yeah. You know, scale, scaling into a convex model, which means um, creating more than one stream of conference, different timings of the conference um, sessions, so that you've always got people who are breaking out into other into uh, into the exhibition floor, and bringing in some people, some exhibitors, some vendors who are not necessarily sponsoring the overall event, and creating you know probably uniform nine square meter shell scheme stands around uh, you know in, in an area adjacent to the conference areas that's what i would call a convex an exhibition-led conference then takes that model and it uh, expands out the the streams of the conference it puts them firmly on the floor of the exhibition so rather than having tabletops or stands close by a conference hall you're actually taking an exhibition hall you're, you're building your stands on the ex on the exhibition floor and you're building your uh, seminar theatres and conference theatres on the floor of the exhibition so that when people move from one conference theatre to another they have to go across the conference uh, across the exhibition area 
and by then bringing in more vendors who are not sponsors and by having free build stands rather than just basic nine square meter shell scheme stands, you've then you know, completed your process from a conference to an exhibition-led event with conferences. And I guess some people probably just go conference to conference and stop there. They, I guess not yeah. everyone goes through all the stages. No, and if it works for them, that's fine. But in certain sectors, you know, you've got to look at your marketplace and say, is you know, is there a market for a fully blown exhibition here with people who want more than a nine square meter stand? Um, and you know, it, it it can take two or three iterations of the event to get to that stage. The Maddox event, Women of Silicon Roundabout, have done that very well. Closer Still Media, with their events, have done that you know exceptionally well. People forget that a number of these events started off as you know pure conferences. Just to step in here quickly to mention our sponsor, Events Frame, a project I'm co-founder of. And I want to mention our integrations, which we believe are the best available. Firstly, payment integrations. You can connect any payment gateway, such as Stripe, PayPal, on Braintree, or even bank account or take cash. You can connect everything to EventsFrame. We also have the best marketing integrations out there with every email marketing system, including MailChimp, Zapier, Infusionsoft, Aweber, Drip. And we've got deep integrations with all the social media platforms like Facebook, Google, and Twitter. We've got thousands of events live on EventsFrame right now, ranging from small community meetups to huge trade shows and conferences. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. That's E-V-E-N-T-S-F-R-A-M-E.com. And now, back to the interview. At what point did, did, did people typically make it like attendees? Because obviously at conference, pretty much universally, attendees have to pay. And, and exhibitions, it seems most, I would say, maybe I'm wrong, but most I've been to have been free, but some, some you pay. Like at, what, at a complex stage, do you, do you often make it free for attendees and stop getting any revenue from attendees? Or do you normally keep, keep charging? Well, um, th- that's that's a really good point because you know if you're if you're charging a thousand pounds a day, a thousand pounds for a two day conference, and you're trying to build an exhibition around it, then you're not going to get the buy in from the exhibitors because you're going to have a relatively small number of uh, of delegates there. Uh, if you provide low cost or no cost education, uh, and again. You know, it's a mindset to say that we can make more money ultimately from the exhibition space than we can from the delegates. Um, then uh, that is one of the keys to bringing in more um, to, to bringing in more audience. So, if you take Closer Still Media as an example, their vet show, their dentistry shows, um, they are able to compete very effectively with the conferences which are run by the trade associations, um, you know, for that sector because they either charge nothing or they charge £100. And because of that, they bring in a large number of people from that sector. And because they're bringing, and, and, and especially if you're offering, um, your continuing professional development hours uh, credits, then it becomes the focal point for the industry. And as soon as it becomes the focal point for the industry, then all the vendors for the industry want to be there. Um, and you know that's how they've scaled their exhibitions. So pricing of the conferences versus pricing of the exhibition part is key in this overall development. And do you think like, and again, thinking very selfishly about my business, when you start to hire more salespeople, have you ever seen it work with remote sales teams, like people just working from home and working from, or do people generally universally get an office and have everyone working together? 
or is it a mixture? Um, I think it's a mixture, and I think there are more companies who allow remote working. And obviously, if you're running events overseas, you know you can have people in different countries. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting thing, points about Maddox Events is that they're running events now in twelve different uh, uh, twelve different countries, and they're doing it all from their offices in uh, in South London. Right. Uh, and they just get people who work the hours of the countries in which they're working. And sometimes that will be um, working from home and sometimes that will be working in the office. So I don't think 100 percent remote working works because I think when you're you know, there is a there is a very strong correlation between the conference educational side of things, the delegate pricing, the exhibitor pricing, the marketing of all of those educational streams to people. And that goes across different uh, different um, sections of the company, whether it's the sales department or the marketing department. And they have to work hand in hand. So there has to be a lot of joined up thinking, which will only really work if people are together in an office at least you know, a, a good part of their time. My business is completely remote. We're all, and I, it's always been like that from day one. You know, it's never been anything different. You know, I, I the first event I ran it myself, and then hired more people, and everyone was in different places. So I've kind of always been like that. But you know, sales has never been our strong point. So I think if we started to scale a sales team, we probably would do what you're saying and actually have an office and getting people, because then you can get people more coordinated, deal with problems quicker, about overcoming objections and things like that. I think they may have to happen for us. Yeah. But I think this whole issue about how to scale a business has led us to setting up our latest initiative, which is called the Events Growth Academy. Yeah, let's get on to it. You know, the, the backdrop to this is that last year, and I reported this in, a, in, a, in an article in Exhibition News um, recently, which was a retrospective of 2018, which um, showed that 2018, in terms of M&A across the event sector, and I, for that I cover not festivals, but um, you know, one-to-ones, conferences, exhibitions, there was a record number of acquisition transactions. In, in normal years, you know, we, we bounced between 60 and 75 transactions, and there were well over, I think it was 87 transactions in 2018. That, that was, you, you dealt with 87, or they were globally 87? No, there were globally 87 yeah. transactions. And there were also a record number of buyers, uh, different buyers, um, in excess of 50 different buyers. So in the past, you know, the usual suspects like Informer and UBM and Reed would always take a lion's share of the market. But there are an increasing number of buyers, private equity buyers, private equity-backed companies like Comexposium and Clarion uh, and Closer Still Media, uh, the traditional big organizers uh, as well, and then a whole load of people in between. And what this has done is this has brought more young companies to the market. So people look at the, look at the buoyancy of the, uh, of, of the acquisition scene they decide that you know now is the time for them to sell their business, yeah. and I think I think the other issue which is driving the number of companies who want to come to market is there is an element of cyclicality here, because people leave the large organisers, they see the sorts of the sort of money that people are making when they launch a business and sell it three or four years later, the the safety of their job in in a large organiser. And they set up their own event and, you know, it may have run three times, two or three times, four times. 
and then is the time to sell. And this comes in cycles, and I think we're we're now at a, a high in that cycle where we've got a number of businesses which started off three or four years ago from people you know, leaving and setting up their own businesses, and now they're ready to bring them to market. So it's clear that entrepreneurs are now more focused on the end sale. But we found that we were, and this goes back to my first comment about you know what what do we do when we get an, when we get a call from somebody? How do we assess the business? Yep. We were looking at a number of businesses which were too small to sell now, broadly because they they were too young, and we would be saying to people, "You're one year, maybe even two years too early. People aren't going to buy your business today because it's too small." They're going to worry why you're selling it so soon, and you haven't necessarily got proof of concept yet. Through you know, you really need to have three years under your belt and you know a good prospect of growth for the fourth year to get any real traction in in selling. But we've had a lot of companies who've come to us who we feel need to scale, and they may need finance to help them do that to get to the point of sale. And that coupled with the point I made earlier about the larger organizers looking at, you know, levels of uh, earnings before interest and tax of around half a million plus, in the case of Clarion, a million plus before they're interested, means that the entrepreneurs need to scale their businesses more than perhaps they might have done in the past in order to get them to market. And they're not necessarily sure uh, how to do that. Um, so, and they started to talk to us about, you know, can you recommend to us a non-exec chairman or a non-exec director who can sit on our board and who can advise us and hold our hands? And we thought, well, actually, why don't we do that? Um, so that's where the event growth Academy has been born. Um, and the idea is that we use, uh, we use all of our contacts, uh, all of our expertise, we make sure that a company is set up in the right way from the beginning with, a, with an eye to sale, because a lot of companies, they develop their business and the way, the way it ends up is as a result of a number of different things that might have happened along the journey. You're describing my um, business, definitely. <laughs> but, 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 but when you come to the point of sale, you look at the business and you go, well, actually, this isn't sellable for a lot of reasons. And I can understand each decision you made at the time whether it's to give a profit share to somebody, whether it's to you know, buy a building uh, and use it as your office, whether it's to launch some magazines in the same company which don't necessarily fit with the exhibitions, yeah. all of those things. They were probably logical decisions at the time, but when you then come to sell the business, you realize that actually you've got to do a lot of work. So one of the things that we are going to be doing is to ensure the right structure of the business um, so that when the time comes to sell, it's a totally logical business to sell, to make sure that everybody who is a shareholder will qualify for entrepreneur's relief, which in the UK is a big deal, obviously, because um, um, the tax rate for, uh, you know, for the entrepreneur's relief uh, is, is 10% on the gain rather than full you know, capital gains tax or... Um, and what's the full capital gains tax uh, in the UK? 
Well, it, it, it depends. It depends on uh, it depends on your personal tax situation right. uh, overall. So, you know, if you're a higher rate taxpayer, you could you could ultimately end up paying 40, 40 percent or more, 45 percent right. on the sale proceeds rather than 10 percent. And we find that people you know, we're, we're working with a company at the moment where um, the owner has promised his key salesperson. 10% of the business, uh, if he stays with them for five years or three years, uh, three or five years, and they sell the business. And of course, that doesn't work from an entrepreneur's relief point of view. Right, um, right. Uh, so, so we, you know, we start right at the beginning and we make sure that the shareholdings are correct, that everybody is going to get entrepreneur's relief at the point of sale. That, um, that the business has only got in it what it needs to have in it and that anything else is set up in a separate company so that when the time comes to sell, it's a clean, it's a clean sale without having to spend time moving stuff around, which can then, um, which then can create a tax charge you know, for no reason. Um, there's one business who, which we know which has been fighting a claim from the Inland Revenue for what's called a decoupling charge, um, because they sold one of their events out of their out of their company to one of the big organisers, and you know had they set it up in a particular way, that wouldn't have happened. So we advise on all of that. Um, that's the kind of structural stuff, um, but then we give advice on scaling. So all the things that we've just talked about, you know, in scaling from. Uh, uh, just a conference to an exhibition-led event. Um, we we give them an insight into how potential purchasers will look at their business. Um, if they need funding to get themselves along the way, then you know we have a number of contacts who are interested in investing in businesses like this. Um, you know something which uh, which is a personal investment from people in the industry, which doesn't. Isn't, doesn't negatively impact on the sale ultimately, um, and general handholding right through to um, to the point of sale, and then obviously you know the 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 aim is that you know within the within the right period of time we will then handle the sale for them. And are uh, you just looking for people who set up a UK limited company, or is it is it is this interesting for people in other countries? No. We work we work across the world. Um, so you know we just we just announced uh, the sale of a business in Indonesia. Uh, we're working on some American businesses, but it's easier with the UK um, because we're here, and you know we 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 will sit on the board of the company. We will take uh, we will take an interest you know in the uh, in the company in terms of a shareholding so that our interests are aligned. We're not going to be charging fees for this because they need all the money that they can get to plow into the business. Sure. Um, but you know we, we will we will take a small shareholding and work with them. And you know the people that we're talking to at the moment like that because our interests are completely aligned. You know and we have a. You know, we will share in the success, and therefore we will we will spend the amount of time necessary to drive this forward. So that's 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 the idea behind this, um, and we're we're going to be working with a number of companies who obviously have to be non-competitive, 
Um, so companies who are in different sectors. So we have to choose carefully. Um, and the final part of this jigsaw, if you like, is that you know when we have five or six companies on board, you know they will all be relatively young. They'll be entrepreneurs. They'll all be in the growth phase of their business. So it's entirely logical to network them all together so that they can all share the experiences that they're going through and hopefully you know, provide advice to each other about stuff that they've done that's worked, stuff that they've done that hasn't worked, so that you elevate it beyond just a kind of one-to-one -one mentorship into, um, into a proper academy, if you like, where people can learn, hence the name. Companies interested in this, I'm sure there'll be a lot. We'll obviously be we'll, we're recording this before this has actually gone live. Interestingly, so once you give me the nod that this is live, how should people get in touch with you? What's the best way? Just call me. Just um, send me an email. Call me. You know, as if um, as if you're calling me to to ask my advice on selling the business. We get inbound inquiries for people who want to sell their businesses all the time. And, you know, it's not possible for us to go out there and target all, all of these companies. By definition, a lot of them will be below the radar today um, because, you know, they need they need the scale and they're not they don't necessarily have the exposure and visibility that they should have or will have in the future. So it's hard for us to kind of corral them all together ourselves. So. You know, if people are who listen to this are interested in 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 being part of this initiative, then um, we'd be very happy to hear from them. Fantastic, Steve. Well, as always, it was a lot of interesting content, both about how to grow your conference to a, to an exhibition and and, and and your program. I'm sure there's going to be some interest. So, thanks again for talking, and uh, look forward to catch up again, uh, hopefully in another six months. Okay, thanks, Dan. Cheers, Steve. Do you want to sell more tickets to your amazing events? EventsFrame Event Ticketing has been built to minimize the amount of time it takes to buy a ticket. Result? You sell more tickets. Check out eventsframe.com 